Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Fun Factory, written and read by Chris England. Hello, I'm Chris England, and welcome to a Fun Factory podcast extra special bonus episode. We've reached the end of the Fun Factory now, and we'll be embarking on the second volume, The Boxcar of Fun, shortly. And as Tim Robbins says in The Shawshank Redemption, if you've come this far, maybe you'll come a little further. Fred Carno's football match sketch features prominently in the story of the Fun Factory. As you'll recall, it's the sketch in which Arthur Dando and Charlie Chaplin compete for the lead role of Stiffy the goalkeeper, which will be an important break for one of them, and a leg break for the other. The football match featured guest appearances from ex-professional players, ex-internationals, many of them, and one of these, a character in the sketch and in the Fun Factory, was Fred Spikesley of the Wednesday, reputedly the finest footballer of the 1890s and early 1900s. Fred Spikesley is the subject of a new book called Flying Over an Olive Grove, and sometime soon a documentary as well, and it's great to be joined by one of the writers of the book, Clive Nicholson. Clive, welcome. Thanks for coming along. Hi. Thanks for having me. No, I enjoyed your book very much. First of all, let's deal with the title, Flying Over an Olive Grove, an oddly Mediterranean sort of yeah. sounding book. But it's about Fred Spikesley of Sheffield Wednesday, so explain the title. Yeah, um, at the time, Sheffield Wednesday, uh, when he was at the peak of his career, he used to play on a ground called Olive Grove, mm-hmm. which was more central in Sheffield. It's behind the station, isn't it? It's down, down to the south of the station. Yeah. And, and the, very near Bramall Lane. Yeah, the, you can see... Bramall Lane from it and yeah. Um, yeah Fred would sometimes walk to and from Bramall Lane because he was famously friends with some of their top players as well so so yeah they very close and I think that meant that supporters in that area actually at that time did used to go to both games yeah because the idea with professional football in towns like that was every Saturday there would be professional football on and that's why you ended up with two teams. And you ended up supporting both teams so you wouldn't have the rivalries that you quite have nowadays with United and City and mm-hmm. Manchester would they, people would go to City yeah. one week and United and Forest and Notts County. And yeah, I think it, things started to change towards the end of sort of like the 1890s when Wednesday moved to Hillsborough, as mm-hmm. originally Ollerton, but... Um, the, there was that a division there, and this massive FA Cup clash that was went over three matches, and it was yeah quite brutal. So I think there was, the fans kind of split around that time. You need to have a proper big match to develop a, a proper rivalry, I guess. So you, well, you need the teams to be roughly neck and neck as well, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Because United were, were formed later, weren't they? They were kind of upstart. yeah, eighteen eighty nine. When uh, they formed to to occupy Bramall Lane once once Wednesday had left. Yeah, the the Wednesday. Um, at the time, they they wanted to go to Bramall Lane, I think, but the rent that they were going to get charged meant that it wasn't financially possible, mm. and so they were forced out to find their own place. That turned out to be Olive Grove, and then mm-hmm. subsequently uh, Hillsborough. So Olive Grove is where Fred Spikesley made his made his name as a player. Yeah, if you go there today, there's a, a plaque um, 
mainly for Sheffield Wednesday, saying they played mm. there, but um, he's on there being described as the Olive Grove Flyer. That was his kind of nickname. The Olive Grove Flyer, right? You're yeah. Right. So what was it that drew you to Fred Spikley's story particularly? So he is a relative. Is he? Um, yeah. So what, just brother, older brother, uh, great, great, great <laughs> uncle. Yeah. Okay. Um, there's no direct descendants from Fred now, okay. and um, yeah, found out when I was about eight or nine mm-hmm. and just started researching him. And, and how did you find out? Was it like family stories or was there memorabilia? Or yeah, at the time there were a couple of medals, medals, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, in the family, and um, they got brought down. It's sort of like that time where I was starting to get interested in football. Okay, been to my first few matches, that kind of thing. The medals got brought down um, from my grandma's in Gainsborough. Okay. And um, yeah, that that was it. Just started to find out who he was. Okay. And he had a pretty stellar career, didn't he? He started at Gainsborough, didn't he? Yeah. So it's kind of, I like to see it as like an original sort of Roy of the Rovers kind of thing. <laughs> um, but actually something that happened. So he was, started off as kind of like the the little sort of diminutive winger, very fast, pacey, lot of potential. Yeah, I've playing. seen him described as the Raheem Sterling of his of his day. <laughs> right. So was he like really dirty as well? Was he like a really dirty player? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um, he wouldn't have been able to. He was too too small. No, no, no. They were the, the the defenders were brutal back then. Yeah, and the and the boots they wore as well. They were just like house bricks, weren't they? Just yeah. Didn't. Yeah. Interestingly, with the boots, just found out recently he used to have them handmade specially for him. Did he? So even back then. There are lots of stories like that about Stanley Matthews, aren't there? About Stanley Matthews being a similar sort of player, being a yeah. tricky winger and playing in, in, uh, in boots that he'd had made that he would only use for like one or two games because they were so flimsy they'd fall apart. Right. And, play, and people used to warn him against, you know, what, what they, they wouldn't protect him, protect his ankles because he used to wear boots all the way out their ankles, didn't they? Yeah. Wouldn't yeah. protect his ankles from the tackle that were coming in and Stanley Matthews used to say as I dare say Fred used to say they've got to catch me first yeah, yeah. <laughs> before he, they can clog me yeah he was he was at the time him and Charlie Athersmith were like the fastest yes. players in the league basically at that time and but, Charlie Athersmith also was in the football match also a character in the fun faction yeah uh, there's a good story about Charlie Athersmith um, who used to play for Villa and for England he used to play on the other wing from Fred for England um, once playing in the rain and grabbing an umbrella from the crowd and just running up and down with this, <laughs> playing under an umbrella, and, you know, and still keeping the, still keeping the ball. You got Billy Meredith used to play with a toothpick, didn't he, in his yeah. mouth? And there's endless stories like that. Of dog, well, um, lots great of to have a, a, a on family pitch. connection though to that to, to football so long ago. You know. Yeah, yeah, it it is. Sometimes when you get so involved with it over the years, you kind of forget almost that, mm. that, that there is that connection. Um, so it just, that, yeah, uh, it's it's been sometimes to like pinch myself and say, yeah, yeah. remind that he is my great great uncle. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can imagine. What it's like I used to tell people that Mike England of Spurs was my uncle, but, <laughs> which, which he was not. He was apart from anything else Welsh, but he did look a bit no. like my dad. Because right. <laughs> in those days, they were, they, 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 he had these great sideboards. You know, these great sideburns right. like Alan Bates. And, you know, that's what my dad looked like also. So I got away with it. Um, but anyway, so uh, Fred's football career, before he before he joined up with Fred Carno, he, he scored two goals in a cup final. Yep. Uh, one after 20 seconds, yep. apparently. Yeah. You know. And there were one nice story that I, that I, I put in my book and it, it got cut out because it was a diversion, a digression rather. But um, there was a thing, wasn't there, where when Fred scored the second goal, 
went yeah. in off the woodwork and the wolf's keeper was a little bit dazed from having been battered in the build-up and he didn't know they'd scored. He didn't know the score was 2-1. He thought it was a draw. <laughs> and so <laughs> at the end, he goes up to the Sheffield Wednesday captain and says, oh, when's the replay? And he says, what are you talking about? <laughs> we won 2-1. Check your medal. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, that's a, that's it a, really a great nice story. story. Yeah. Yeah, Tennant, the goalie. Yeah, of, yeah. Uh, of Wolves, yeah. yeah. And um, so that was 1896. Yeah, that's right. And then um, won the league as well in the early 20th century? Yeah, 1903, uh-huh. won the league. That was his, it, it was kind of his last season. It's a, the last first team performances for Wednesday. Came mm-hmm. and then he, he got badly injured in pre season. No, we should so come to his knee. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hat tricks in his first two internationals, which hasn't been done by anyone else, I don't think. Yeah, and the, the first one they now... They were playing Wales. Yeah, Wales, he got drafted in at last minute, scored mm-hmm. a hat-trick, so um, that one's fully recognised now. There's the Scotland one, there's a bit of dispute over, but um, <laughs> but yeah, there's there's plenty of evidence. There are disputes over some of those stats, aren't they? Because they didn't mm. used to have goal nets, and there yeah. used to be arguments about whether the ball had actually gone in, and whether the referee was looking... And yeah, whether it had gone in on either side of the post, and you get a lot of that in his career because coming in as a professional at the time, the game is evolving very, very quickly. So mm-hmm. you you do sort of get the stories of of the goal nets being introduced and the different ways that the game was umpired and stuff. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's quite a fascinating time, really, to to research. Yeah, especially now, now that, we're, that everything is everything is so minutely documented, every and images of every everything, and the ball technology and the VAR technology and all of that. And it's a time where you had to take someone's word for it that they'd scored, you know? <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great. Now, so 170 goals for Wednesday in 11 mm. years, I think. Yeah, and um, and then, as you say, he he had a knee injury and. And packed in at playing at the top level anyway. I think he's still. Yeah, he he finished sort of in the Southern League with Watford. Mm-hmm. So it was drafted in to help them out in a relegation battle. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd been sort of to Glossop, Leeds City, mm-hmm. um, played for a team called Southern some, United. Some other made-up teams. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> generally trying to sort of like eke his career out, like earn money, I guess, and like in. As you say in in your book, like the they suddenly realise, don't they, that they've, they've got yeah, another yeah. twenty thirty well, it must years have been to very survive. Sed- seductive, mustn't it, for for the young men who were the, like the first um, professional footballers mm. to think, oh, I can get paid as much for doing this as I can for going down the mine or whatever, you know. Yeah. Uh, but then the the classic footballer thing, which they're they're insulated against a little bit more now because they get paid so much. But you get to thirty, you get a knee injury, and what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. How are you going to make money? Mm-hmm. Um, which is how the the Fred Carno thing must have been a godsend at that time for him and for his yeah because uh, some of his uh, contemporaries yeah. yeah and he was struggling also because of um, what what money he had he used to he used to gamble away didn't he he used to be a gambler yeah I think when you get brought up through those working classes and you you kind of stick with your those kind of people yeah it's it, gambling it was a big part of it and mm. you you kind of can make mistakes and he just got addicted to that <laughs> um, but there's lot, all, loads of footballers from that time just struggled once the game was over yeah so they, they, were met, they were the first ones going through it they're the first ones yeah and they're, they're trying to they're trying to uh, start again when mm. they're when they're like 14 15 years older than the, the kids who were, yeah. who were doing apprenticeships and so on mm. so yeah so it was a, it was a, it was quite a, there was a lot a lot of them used to open pubs that was where that was when pubs used to be yeah. the footballers next step it was um 
Johnny Cuddle famously got given a pub when he signed for Derby County. That's how they managed to entice him away from the Invincibles. Yeah, because you got a pub after. Yeah, and I think, um, wasn't it Alf Common was the record um, transfer yes. for, for a while and I yeah. think he was a he became a famous publican and it was quite it was quite common for whole teams to have pubs in the in the town you know yeah because the football fans would then go to those pubs kind of thing yeah yeah um, and the same it was the same wasn't it we, we uh, discovered another thing that Mark who's sitting in the room with us and I wrote about boxers a lot of boxers would would go to would go into the into the trade into the publican mm. trade and then boxing fans would would gravitate to those pubs and yeah. not to not to uh, watch sky or anything but just to, you know, <laughs> yeah. just to hang out with other like-minded yeah. like-minded fellas yeah and so he did um go back to football didn't he go into coaching yeah and i think we kind of underestimated his sort of like coaching ability to start with yeah because he was a bit of a pioneer wasn't he mm. he went and, and coached in in europe in sweden and in yeah, germany, germany and all sorts of uh, he ended up in peru at one point Did he? <laughs> yeah made, made it that that one meant that he was the first professional player coach to go across three different continents yeah so he wasn't that successful in england it was no. quite hard at the time to get a coach in yeah um role yeah they tended to go to players that had played previously for clubs mm-hmm. or there were so few because they used to last like 20 years at managing or coaching yeah. at clubs so there weren't that many so he had a few close at calls and he almost got a Tottenham job and almost got QPR and Watford jobs but um didn't and so he was forced to kind of go abroad like a lot of footballers mm-hmm. That and in Germany, a lot of them footballers ended up in that. In Germany, yeah, yeah. Rulieben prisoner of war camp and stuff. Yes, they did, and he narrowly avoided that, didn't he? Well, he was coaching yeah. for Nuremberg when the war broke out in 1914. Yeah, and wow. um, immediately, almost immediately, all the British citizens in in uh, Germany at the time were interned, weren't they? Were taken in. There were a lot of footballers, a lot of British footballers, uh, yeah, working and coaching out there. And um, Fred Spikesley managed to managed to um, duck out of. Prisoner of War camp, didn't he? With a yeah, with a with it, a dodge. Yeah, there was <laughs> there was like a few strings pulled for help yeah. to get him originally out of the police prison. He was in there for three days, and mm. then the last trains out had gone, so they kind of just let him, his family, just walk off. You know, so um, he had to get past the Swiss border, mm-hmm. and on the Swiss border there was a health check, and mm-hmm. um, his dodgy knee that um, it's like injured several times and ultimately ended his career mm. he could dislocate it so he he, he, on he the had help, to demonstrate didn't he that he wasn't he, he wasn't fit for service at this point otherwise they would he, have held on to him yeah there's a a lot of people pull me up on this because his age was such that he wouldn't have been sent to like the battlefield mm. but there must have been some sort of um sort of check on how useful they would be to, yeah. if they got home yes. so so whether and to as keep the war them... went on the, the older older men um joined up and would called up weren't they? They, they, they the age got bigger and bigger as they ran out of people yeah um, so, but yeah he, he could he had a, he'd had a bad knee injury and could dislocate his dislocate his knee yeah. just like a oh, just like a party trick or yeah. like oh that's just a you know, that, yeah. that's a, a horrible thing. And, you know, it's a, a thing that um, rang a bell just because I had knee things. When you've played, uh, you know, I've, I've had knee things, and that's why, yeah, uh, and that's why I gave that's why I gave Arthur Dando a knee injury in the book, right? Just because it's similar to what what happened to mine. <laughs> but um, 
yeah, but the story of him of him pouring we well, poured, poured boiling water on oh, his yeah. knee Hot to water, loosen yeah. the muscles for two hours, and then when he was asked to walk up and down, he popped it out and and oh man, yeah, it I got played, him out, got I, him out. I played football with a with a friend from college and who, whose knee was dislocated right in front of me in a college match, as he slid in and scored a goal with his last kick in, in ever oh. participating in football, slid in, and someone slid in from the side and just clonk and, oh, and no. made his leg into like a Z shape, dislocated his knee, and it was the most painful thing. Imagine just being able to do it on purpose. Oh, oh blimey. So, uh, oh, so, yeah, so he, ca- he, he came back and was, we did, some, did some coaching in, in this country, didn't he, after the, after the mm. war? Because if you look on that, there's an article that I think your, your co-writer uh, uh, did an interview for the BBC and has a little clip of him, little video clip of him yeah. coaching, which is a fantastic. It's like a Harry Enfield sketch, isn't it? It's like one of those things. I, <laughs> he says, I have with me Barrett of England and Oliver of England. We will now demonstrate how to do the back heel, yeah. a very useful skill in the game of football. Yeah. <laughs> it, must be, it must be amazing to actually have some have some film that you can see of of, uh, of someone in, who, who you have a family connection to that's so far back. Yeah, I mean, born in 1870. Yeah. To have his voice. His voice got added to film in this country just by Harry Enfield. L- yeah. 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 <laughs> it was li- literally about six months before that was made or something. Yeah. So to actually have the sound and film together of him is, is yeah, remarkable, really. It's amazing. For, for yeah, us. yeah. Because I'm, uh, you know, I've got, uh, in my family, I, uh, there are, there are photographs, you know, of uh, the, the staged photographs of, of my grandfather in his, uh, sea cadet uniform, you know, things like this. And loads of sepia pictures and the people who could tell me who they are are all gone, you know. Yeah. But to have, have such a celebrated ancestor must be kind of, must be kind of a thrill. But, but you're right with his voice. Like, I don't think he actually spoke like that. I think no, it was like. But people did, didn't they? When they, when they had they, to do that yeah. talk to camera and not really <laughs> known exactly how to do it, they suddenly, <laughs> all of a sudden change. Um, yeah. but, but in that, that video and, um, sort of like passages that he wrote about football coaching, you can see that he's somebody who's really thinking about yeah. it and getting ahead of where where <laughs> current coaching was at that time. Yeah. And that was part of his problem was he was... He was ahead of his time. Yeah, the, 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 at that moment it was all about fitness and strength mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. speed and he was very much skills, you know, and so him putting the posts out and the footballers dribbling around the post looks a bit crude on the on the film but actually mm-hmm. he was one of the very first people and doing those things getting posts yeah. out doing sort of the piggy in the middle games um, mm-hmm. and it's ve- it's very funny that I say funny un- unintentionally funny that the, the clip of him mm-hmm. uh, coaching because they show they show where uh, they show these two ostensible England internationals yeah. doing uh, keepy uppies headers Get to about and they three, get five. They yeah, five. five. Yeah, <laughs> and and I can do five with my son. Yeah, and my son doesn't play football. <laughs> Michael doesn't. Yeah, but um, so yeah, it, it, uh, it's worth seeing that. That's um, if you put if you Google Fred Spitesley BBC, it comes up, and it's it's a uh, it's a uh, just a click on box in there. Yeah, and it's very it's it's very appealing. It's a very appealing little thing because he so, he looks really short as well. Yeah, he was compared to the. He's very slight compared to the the, the, the bruises yeah. he's trying to coach, and um, he gets them to do a back heel. There's this this clunky back heel thing, and then you can almost see the impatience as he says, <laughs> "Now I shall show you how to do it properly." 
month yeah. and does it completely differently. Yeah. And on the run, you know, and obviously yeah. it would have worked much better. But. There was him and a few players that, in the 1890s that were famous for doing those yes. little tricks and flicks. Him and Billy Bassett are probably the most mm-hmm. famous ones, but yeah. It was um, it is good that video, like it. <laughs> it's cool. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. So let's talk about the the football match. The thing that the reason why um, uh, Fred Spikes is a character in my book, yeah, anyway, because my my book is obviously about um, about uh, the uh, Fred Carno company of that time, um, or that's where it's set at, at any rate. And uh, the football match, what a spectacle that must have that must have been. Yeah, you know, just um, recreate a cup final on the stage uh, with all the players and with uh, you know they would advertise up to a hundred auxiliaries or supers they would call them put them in front of a psych background with paintings uh, to make it look like even more it must have been a, a, it must have been a, a remarkable thing and yeah. you can see why it would have stuck in people's stuck in people's minds i mean it's probably as as spectacular a thing as fred carno did i think yeah uh, when you when i first heard about it i think didn't fully appreciate what it was um because it's hard to research, isn't it? Like it is. I mean, what I read about it many, many years ago in a in a history of Oldham Athletic, which is my team. Yeah. Um, and they went a hundred years of soccer in Oldham. This book is celebrating, and there's a there's just a little article about it, it being on at the Oldham Empire, um, and the production that it describes has in it. Um, it says here for the uh, for the Manchester shows, Carno also employed former England international footballers Arthur Smith, Crabtree of Aston Villa, and Fred Spikesy from Sheffield Wednesday. Which is, and it's from this uh, that that I've put those characters in my book. Yeah. But it's from this really that I started to to be interested in writing about Fred Carno at all because mm. this sketch just sounds sounds incredible. Yeah. I mean, imagine putting that on now. I mean, you know, just because the Spikesy and Crabtree and Athersmith is like. You know Beckham, Skulls, and Butt. Now, yeah, you know, just retired. Just imagine, you know, mm. that you could. I mean, if they were on their uppers, you know, that would be obviously in the first place that would be funny. But you know, <laughs> the, the, uh, just imagine them being so so hard up that they would that they would be available, you know, to do something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, the, the entertainment had been part of Fred's life. I think not just as a footballer, but his <laughs> dad owned the pub that had like a little music hall on the back. It had a piano that Fred learned to play on and was uh-huh. quite accomplished at. So there was early newspaper reports. The first ones ever of Fred are of him actually playing the piano 
right. uh, like okay. in, in Gainsborough yeah. um, or Lincoln. Or, so, um, so yeah, you got you kind of got that. And I originally thought it'd be something in a in a theatre. I don't know, 500 size, mm-hmm. but it wasn't, was it? It was, it was Oh, no, bigger. the big empires were like two or 3,000. Yeah. And, you know, but then the football, uh, footballers would play 30, 40, 50,000, wouldn't they? The, yeah. In those days, you know, even um, even clubs that, that wouldn't get that now, you know. Yeah, yeah, I think the biggest Sheffield Wednesday home crowd he played at was... Uh, Olive Grove was 28,000. Okay. At a fake cup against Everton. Um because even the Wednesday fans don't understand how how many fans went to Olive Grove. Usually got about twelve thousand. But and yeah. how many would be at the cup final at Crystal Palace? So that was just under fifty. Where, under fifty thousand. You've yeah, got some brilliant unquote. photographs in your book. They're flying over an Olive Grove. You've got some brilliant photographs of the eighteen ninety six cup yeah. final. Because I live very close to Crystal Palace. Yeah. And I walk around that park quite quite often. And I I can't quite orientate. But there's a mm. sports centre there now. Yeah. Um, and the, obviously the palace at the top of the hill is burnt down in the thirties and yeah. is, is long gone. But the pictures that you have in there show a, like a roller coaster mm-hmm. and that they'd shut down so that people could stand on the, on the track of the roller coaster to watch the, to get a yeah, view of the Yeah, they climbed the trees and climbed yeah. up onto the track. It was a switchback roller coaster. Yeah. Um, it was only there a short time, but, yeah. um, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, it's so, not there now. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it got pulled but those down. But those dinosaurs that they built in the 1840s, they're still there. They are still the concrete there. concrete dinosaurs <laughs> yeah. that don't don't quite look like anything no. that That's, science would agree with. Now. No, they're <laughs> but, very weird. They've got lumps in the wrong place. And they're, they? they're a bit like cartoon characters of dinosaurs, but they're, but yeah. they're, they're, yeah, they're nice. They're nice. Yeah. And, you know, it's a, probably it's far a too, nice surprise to see them when you come around the corner there. Far too costly to get rid of is probably <laughs> still oh, there. But there'd be an outrage if they did. Yeah. You know, local people are very attached to uh, to the oh, idea wow. of having comedy dinosaurs <laughs> over the road. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's it's interesting, I think, the, the idea of, uh, of footballers... Um, going into uh, regarding themselves as a branch of the entertainment industry and going yeah. and going from one to the other, and you know the one thing that, that players like Athersmith and Crabtree, uh, Crabtree rather, and Spikesley would have had would be a, a, a sort of e- ease at uh, appearing in front of a crowd of that yeah. size. You know, three thousand would really be like nothing to them. Yeah, you know, yeah. and if all if or, as long as all they're required to do is what they would do anyway is is you know a couple of keepy uppies and be into they would it was like a personal appearance, wasn't it? The yeah. referee would say would introduce the players and they'd have local players um when they, when they toured around the country so when it went into it went to bristol they would have fitchett of bristol city uh, yeah. bob sharp of bristol city and they'd have they had some birmingham players who they would draw on in the midlands and and a, a hibernians player who, who joined them in scotland and yeah that's right <clears throat> and think... so it's basically just uh, give a big uh, older empire welcome to you know <laughs> yeah and uh, fred and the, the, those original three actually did tour quite a bit originally yeah. as the, the show was kind of evolving yeah. to start with. But you're absolutely right that just draft players, and I think Carno has seen the size of the football crowds. Yes. Um, they're obviously working class people and realised or wanted to draw them in a bit mm. um, to his shows um, and repeatedly, I suppose. So, so yeah, he saw that potential, I'm sure. And um, created that the, the sketch. How long do you reckon it lasted? The football match. I'm 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 thinking thirty forty minutes. Yeah, because it was sitting. It would be in a bill, uh, surrounded by other 
solo um, acts and uh, trick cyclists and whatever. Yeah. I'm thinking it's it's a it's a th- like a three act sketch uh, with scene changes. So I'm thinking yeah. maybe th- 30 40 minutes. Yeah. Um but that's just a guess. I can't see I I haven't seen that set out anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um and as as we briefly mentioned it was uh, some 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 of the footballers who were who were captured in in the war mounted a production of it in in Ruleben camp yeah. Ruleben rather camp yeah prison camp and they must have in order to do that it must have been quite a thing for them for them to feel like they to know it so well that they could put on something so mount something so um impressive as an amateur basis you know yeah well you got the sort of like classic i guess it's the goalie um being bribed, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's taking a bribe, and a villain's trying to get him to throw the cup final. So you've got quite an easy sort of storyline to yeah. work around that's quite memorable. But but yeah, like I know the um, players like Billy Fook, Fatty Fook of Sheffield United, famously would would, would have gone to see Fred Carno. It's yeah, always yeah. at the theatre. Wait, well, it was the forefront of, of popular entertainment. Football on one hand, and musical on the other, because there was no cinema yet. There was no. There was there was like what you would call legitimate theatre, but there was nothing, no radio yet, no TV yet. So yeah. if you're going you're going out on a Saturday night, people would go and see this Carno sketch and would probably have seen it, you know, a dozen times maybe, yeah. and, and enough to enough to know how to do it, you know, in an impromptu way. It's, it's amazing this the, that little paragraph that, uh, that about them doing it in the prison of war camp. I know I don't. I only found that the other day, as you know. Uh, Paul Brown's just released that book. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Bloomer, the the very famous Victorian footballer, he was interned there, mm. and it's mainly focused around him. Yeah, and, and he Fred was he Pentland. was there. He was coaching like like Fred, I guess was he? In, yeah, he was in Berlin. Yeah, um, okay. at the time, and um, yeah, Fred was kind of saved himself from four years in there, yeah. and it, it became a bit of a community. It had everything. It had its own currency. It had its mm-hmm. own newspaper. But they never they never staged a big match and tried to escape by tunneling out under the bath. Well, not not the escape. <laughs> it became quite comfortable, I think. I think if you were there at the start, it wasn't comfortable because yeah. it was a racing track and you just got put in the stables. Yeah. So it was a bit hard well, to start with. It's, but a, it's amazing that Fred wanted to get out of there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was. Um, he never ended up in it. Oh, okay. He it was police prison that he'd been put in temporarily that he managed to get out of okay. so yeah i think once they were in they were in um but yeah it set up its own community and they did they had all the sports matches and everything bloomer yeah won the cup final you know that kind <laughs> of thing in fact i'm sure oldham were one of the teams tottenham and oldham yeah was the cup final well you know old oldham that, that oldham team were were robbed by the by mm. the war that was their that was their best ever team and they got to the cup final in 1914 Right. They were second in the league, I think. Um, they got to the, so the cup semi-final, right? And, the, and they were second in the league they, uh, because they were just a couple of points behind Everton. And if they'd won the last game but one or something, they'd have. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, that, uh, that that particular misery pales into insignificance compared to seventeenth in League Two, which is where we currently right. find <laughs> ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> but now talking about football as being an entertainment there was also the uh, the the article that we've seen of uh, about Archie Goodall having uh, having a developing a vaudeville act yes. involving a loop de loop like cyclists would do yeah except doing it on foot 
That's right, with, yeah. Which sounds like an extraordinary thing, but with special boots that fit into a track, like as if he was like a, a human scale car. Yeah. And he it. would stop at nine o'clock and hold himself out horizontally. Yeah. And people would go, ooh. And then he'd go up to the <laughs> yeah. top and hang down from this thing and yeah. then lift people up yeah. and put them down again. And people would go, ooh. <laughs> and then he'd come down, face down, to three o'clock. And people would go, how's he doing it? How's he doing that? And he had these trick boots. Yeah, and he, tr- and he, boots. And he um, broke his ankle doing it, didn't he? Which is yeah, which take. is uh, he 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 really deserved. That's all I can. <laughs> yeah, it sounds barking mad, doesn't it? It's just <laughs> well, he took it to America. It's like a a steel. It was making structure. so much more money than when he was a footballer. Nine, Ninety pound a week. It says doing, doing, uh, doing vaudeville yeah. in the in the 1800s. Yeah, it's Paul Brown again. Actually, wrote that Did article. He? Yeah, um, and um, it's it's like this loop loop made out of a thousand steel. Uh, pieces and because he'd 3, have to take it down and to move it to another rivets. theater, wouldn't he? To another ve- venue, he'd have to take it. It'd have to be dismantleable. Yeah. Apparently, it fell apart in Derby. <laughs> the first show was in Derby because that's where he played most of his career. It fell apart two days before, and there was yeah. a frantic forty-eight hours of rebuilding it. <laughs> Just yeah, it it is crazy. It does, to, sound, like, it does sound demented. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> But nowadays, it's funny, isn't it? Because nowadays fo- footballers do um, the crossover into entertainment is is well because there's football related entertainment to begin with. There's punditry and yeah. commentary and what have you. But there are there there are quite a few footballers now, even uh, who, who as Mark mentioned earlier on, but Vinnie Jones, um, as as an extraordinarily successful um, yeah. sort of solid film actor in X Men films and what have you, mm-hmm. and the. David Seaman did Strictly Come Dancing, didn't he? And yeah. Jamie Redknapp is travelling around Cantonale. America with uh, Cantona. Cantona's a film star as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. Cantona's and, just a um, star, isn't he? He's just, he's, that's, can do anything yeah, he wanted. And, and it wouldn't be hard to think of footballers who would who would step up if this were, if you mounted the football match now. Footballers who you'd be fighting off with a stick to try and get a little bit of the yeah. attention that they they miss, kind of thing. Yeah, because most. Of the top footballers, I suppose, are so loaded now that they're so loaded. But it's, it's there's a, there's a there's a sort of um, there's a there's a buzz, isn't there, about appearing in front of a crowd that you can't yeah you can't recreate necessarily from opening a pub yeah you know and um, look at the career of of Ian Wright mm. you know who's because Ian Wright started into in in punditry and stuff but when they, there was a, a, a definite effort to make him into a light entertainment star yeah and he had two series of a chat show. And you know, Carno would be fighting him off with a big stick. They're desperate for the for sort of entertainment um, attention. You know, he hosted Top of the Pops, Ian Wright, really, and had uh, a show called uh, Friday Nights All Right, uh, which he interviewed Elton John, and he presented shows called Friends Like These, uh, the National Lottery Right Ticket. He presented What Kids Really Think, Alvy and Wright. I don't know. Um, the aptly titled I'd Do Anything. He, did, <laughs> he hosted Gladiators, like John Fashionu did. Um, oh, he had a show called Ian Wright's Excellent Adventure, in which he climbed the highest mountain in the Arctic with the wife of Ron Nodes, the Crystal Palace chairman, which sounds exactly like what Romish Ranganathan does every, every time he steps out. He, there was a programme called Big Brother Celebrity Hijack, in which he was a celebrity hijacker. And... 
I, you know, just he has, and, and, and just before Christmas, he was doing "I'm a Celebrity, Get Me on the Telly," wasn't he? He was just before, just and then came back to Match of the Day, and they gave him a celebration cake, didn't they, when he came back to Match of the Day? And just it sounds so like that, you've really tracked him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, stalking. It's it's, a, it's an ugly word, but you know. <laughs> but no, it must it must be uh, it must have been for for footballers. It must have been a, a way of. Recapturing just for a, a few mo- few moments the sort of the feeling of of having a crowd on your side and having a crowd behind you and you know yeah. be, just to be showing off really yeah um, they 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 must miss it I mean all mm. anyone who's that's the big part of their life whatever the background I guess it's always kind of hard to know for them sometimes when to finish isn't it because they don't know what yeah what's must be yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. So, well, maybe one day we'll get together and we'll mount a revival of the football match from the scraps that we've both uncovered. Yeah. And Clive's book is called Flying Over an Olive Grove, The Remarkable Story of Fred Spikesley. Fred Spikesley, a minor character only, unfortunately, in my, in my book. If I'd read your book in time, <laughs> he'd have been a much more significant figure. Yeah, it's how, uh, ours came out after yours, didn't it? Yeah, my, yeah. that's 2014. I think, entry, so. I think yours would have helped us more. Because <laughs> I really found it hard. The Fed Carlos of his hard. Like anything from the working classes is harder to research. I think. It, yeah, well, you know, they're, they're not, um, you know, they're, they're not really documented very well in no. the uh, in in like the archives of the Lord Chamberlain, mm-hmm. because they really used to be on the back of an envelope. Carnot's things yeah. and developed a lot of physical stuff, and it was hard to describe, hard to yeah. hard to pin down. But anyway, thanks so much for coming. That was no, it's been great talking to you, and uh, on we go.